Welcome to the Indisposable Podcast, produced by Upstream and supported this season by Patagonia. I'm your host, Brooking Gatewood. Thanks for joining for another episode celebrating solutions to plastic pollution. Welcome back, everybody. We are in for a real treat today where we will basically be having a crash course in social marketing with Emma Riley. And Emma brings a deep well of strategic marketing experience to the social change sector. She's personally been named a top 100 up and coming female culture creator in the US by PureWow. And um, she is the director of strategic partnership for Lonely Whale, which is an incubator for courageous ideas that pushes the boundaries on current trends in technology, media, and advocacy that positively impact the health of our ocean. Lonely Whale is responsible in a large part for bringing attention to the plastic pollution issue in the U.S. through their Stop Sucking campaign a few years ago, and they were actually named one of Fast Company's world's most innovative companies of 2019, and they're at it again right now with a recently launched and influencer-backed campaign called Hydrate Like, which talks all about uh, how we consume water. So you may have seen the campaign's 1980s throwback public service announcement or seen the Hydrate Like hashtag show up in your social feeds. And we are so lucky to have Emma here today to tell us a little bit of the backstory of these campaigns and uh, share a little bit of her wisdom with us about strategic marketing for social change. Thanks for joining us, Emma. Thanks for having me, Brooking. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, so um, I'd love to start with a question because for those who work in the social sector, uh, it's really unfortunately a little bit rare to have people like you with training and expertise in traditional marketing and advertising that choose to take the salary cuts that are often involved to come work for the nonprofit sector. So I'm curious, uh, before we go any further, just to hear a little bit about your personal story of how you decided to bring your skills into this space to work on social change. Sure. Um, and thanks for asking. I grew up in Northern California. Uh, I grew up in the Bay area and I grew up hiking, uh, really more than anything else. Uh, but growing up on the coast, uh, sort of gave me a wealth of information about our natural environment, both the mountains as well as the shore, because the mountains meet the shore right in, mm -hmm. in Northern California. Um, and so at a very young age, I was spending most of my time outside. My entire summer was spent uh, near Bodega Bay in Occidental, California, um, which is, again, a redwood forest right on the coast, working with children, actually, at an outdoor camp, attending the outdoor camp for years and years. And then uh, once I reached an age where I could, you know, be a counselor and then further as an administrator and sort of formal staff working with kids for four months long in the middle of, in the middle of nowhere, but in the middle of one of the most beautiful places on earth. It's a very beautiful nowhere. I've been there. It is yeah. such <laughs> a beautiful nowhere. There's, yeah. there's honestly nowhere else like it. I mean, just seeing the redwoods literally hit the ocean is just, it's one of the most remarkable, I think, things on the planet and it, and it sticks with you. Um, so leaving the Bay area when I was 17 and heading to New York and then subsequently London back to New York, um, it stuck with me, that interest, that passion, that curiosity, wanting to be outside, wanting to sort of breathe fresh air, you know, especially when you're living in the middle of Manhattan, you really crave that. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, a few years back decided to sort of move into that world in a way in which I could hopefully be effective 
Um, so, so the long and short of it is it was what I was raised in, um, and really what I was raised to appreciate. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about the straw campaign or what's known as the stop sucking campaign. Tell us about what it was like to roll up your sleeves and work on that. Was that your first plastic pollution campaign? And, and what was it like to, to go from ground zero to uh, having a whole lot of news coverage of the issue? It, it was. It was uh, my first. It was also my organization's first. And, you know, the, the most skilled strategist at our organization at Lonely Whale is our executive director, Dune Ives. Um, she, for about a year, um, sort of scouted, scoped uh, media and slowly figured out um, who was talking about what and that there were quite a few organizations uh, discussing plastic straws, working on plastic straws, uh, some governments that had had legislation sort of sitting quietly, patiently in the wings, um, waiting uh, to be put forward. Um, quite a few celebrities already sort of um, removing them from their public profiles as kind of cultural thought leaders. And with good reason, she said, you know, if we are able to sort of facilitate a conversation between the private sector, between NGOs, media, celebrities, develop some some really smart content, activate experientially, um, we could unify this conversation that is right now there. It's present, but it's broken. Um, it's waiting in the wings and there isn't really a script. So that's what we did. Uh, we produced, you know, three to four pieces of, of content, celebrity driven, but with really high production value, one of which was localized to an activation we produced for one month in the city of Seattle. Uh, we called Strawless in Seattle, um, and we basically generated energy and buzz in the city to the effect of the city approaching our team, asking if they could sort of tack on and introduce policy alongside what was the sort of the culmination of the effort in the city of Seattle. Oh, how interesting. So the, the city literally thought you guys were being so effective in your campaigning that they wanted to add a, add a messaging note. <laughs> yeah, the policy had been written. So the policy was there and we knew that and we knew that Starbucks was headquartered in the city of Seattle. I mean, there was it was good. There was good reason why why we went there. You know, our executive director, Dune, is based there. Um, I was able to move there for about six months. We were on the ground working to shift over 150 venues, Major League Baseball, the NFL, the airport, the port of Seattle. Um, restaurants, bars, you name it, away from single-use plastic straws. I mean, we literally had basically a briefcase of alternatives. And we were salespersons. We would go into these bars and we would say, in September, we're going to run a pop culture campaign that this city is – you've never seen it before – you should be a part of it. We have this person involved. We have that person involved. We have this person involved. We have that person involved. And, you know, lo and behold, that that worked. Sort of that sales strategy worked. We were able to, like I said, bring on 150 venues to the tune of over 2 million straws um, removed in one month. And the city caught wind. So, you know, I mean, it's it's sort of all, you know, it's, it's tied together. We don't leave anything to chance. We knew that there was an opportunity to tee up policy. But yes, the city did approach us and we had a wonderful time working with them. That was the first 
uh, policy of its kind. And you've now, of course, seen it ripple effect around the world. Mm hmm. You know, a lot of the classic nonprofit campaigns take a little bit of a different approach than the way you guys work at Lonely Whale. And I think that's a really interesting piece to dig into here. So I would love to hear a little bit of your reflections on what is different about how you guys are approaching this kind of public campaigning than um, your traditional nonprofit campaign. Sure. Um, So, I mean, I think we identify a very specific audience ahead of the launch. So that's one. And I would say two is we acknowledge that to generate sort of real behavior change, the consumer has to sort of see themselves as being cornered (laughs) completely. I mean, truly, that's what it is. Hmm. Because to ask someone to change their behavior, you're really asking them to consciously make a decision during a day when they're probably busier um, than all get out. And they don't want to make a change. They have a routine. Their routine is their routine. um, And they're comfortable in it. Most people live sort of in that way. And that's fair. It's how we can keep ourselves sane, right? And so to really force a behavior change on someone, you have to kind of corner them. And you do that um, through various different methods, which makes up then a 360 marketing effort. Um, One of the reasons why, you know, when you bring a product to market, it's as successful as it as it is, let's just say Nike, um, is because they've not only infiltrated your social media, um, they've probably seeded the product on a handful of people in your community or celebrities that you look to. That's the influencer piece of the strategy, right? They have probably opened an activation in your city if you live in an urban area or an area in which the market or demographic that they're targeting is available. What's an activation for those who don't know? Oh, sure. Um, So an activation is a moment that is not digital. So an experiential activation is let's just say a pop-up shop or a museum of plastic, which we opened up in New York about a month and a half ago at the launch of our hydrate campaign. So an activation is sort of a tent pole within a campaign um, in which you're able to pull media in at the same time that you're pulling consumers in, develop a narrative that is encompassing. You're literally physically in the narrative And you're able to kind of control that narrative to a greater degree than you are maybe online or that you are maybe when you do some influencer seeding or otherwise, right? Mm. Um, And it is a literal, oftentimes it's sort of surprising and that's what the media will pick up on. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the long and short of what an an experiential activation is. So so you'll see, I mean, it's, it's not rocket science, right? When Nike releases a sneaker, they've seeded it. They've taken over your social media. Um, And they may have done like a pop-up shop in Union Square in San Francisco. They though also, and this is what most organizations I think don't realize, is they have tested that product through and through for three plus years. They have tested it on, I mean, a range of different people, different demographics, men, women, ages, children. Um, They have tested it in different environments. They have tested the advertising that runs alongside it that you're seeing. They have spent time putting together what you probably only pay attention to for a day, but it's so overwhelmingly, maybe not positive isn't the right word, but surprising engaging is probably the right word that you you don't forget it, right? Mm -hmm. But that work has been done. It's not just Mm -hmm. a social media hashtag. It's not just one PSA. 
it's not just one restaurant shifting away from one another. It's all of those things. And they've spent about three years developing it. And if it didn't work, it, when they were testing it, they went back to the drawing board. They said, you know what, even if we think this is a great sneaker and we like it and we're the people producing it, if our audience isn't buying it, it's probably not a very good sneaker. And that's what matters, right? It's the dollars you're making. For us and the work that we're doing, what matters are you know, the signatures on the petition or the change in behavior. But again, like let's think about who we're talking to, which we did when we developed Stralis. Seattle, the city itself, consumers, bartenders in particular, Starbucks, we knew that that's who we wanted to talk to. So we went to Seattle. We developed a campaign specific to that. We didn't go into the city of Seattle with a campaign that applied to New York. It's really spending time on figuring out who you're talking mm-hmm. to, I think, is the most effective tool that we can take from any, I think, really any brand. You know, it's interesting. The way you're describing the best practices for these marketing campaigns reminds me of some of the best practices for community organizing and um, for environmental groups looking to learn to really work and build relationships in communities and not sort of impose agendas on communities. It feels like there's alignment there. And um, it may be that, of course, you know, community organizing is about deeper relationship building than than the marketing R&D is. But there, there is a similarity there that's interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, it is. It is. Organizing is one and the same. Again, it's like step by step by step. You you R&D, right? You figure out who you're talking to and what you're talking about and whether or not people are willing to talk about it. Um, and then you engage. Um, and then you hopefully see a change. I mean, that's like the simplest of forms, right? And then the engagement is where it breaks out and it becomes sort of different and varied based on who you're talking to and what you're talking about and the tactics that you take on and deploy in order to reach that final goal. But listening is the, is a really big piece of the puzzle. And the smartest brands, the most profitable, the most lucrative, the, those that really grow um, at a rate that none of us can keep up with, um, listen to their audience, um, and they speak very directly to them. Um, and they speak their language. They don't go at them speaking a language that isn't the language their audience speaks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us a little more about the hydrate light campaign. And I know you guys put years into research for this essentially, and you've just launched, um, this past summer, right? So tell us a little bit about what you learned along the way, the audiences you're targeting, all that. Yeah, sure. So actually the city of Seattle, recognizing how effective Stralis was, came to Lonely Whale a few years ago, um, just after our Stralis effort sort of hit its peak and said, can you do a bit of research as to how to speak to single-use plastic water bottles in the same way that you sort of spoke to single-use plastic straws? Um, So we ran a handful of of national polls um, and realized that we needed to speak to millennial mothers, primarily of Caucasian and Hispanic descent. Very few other organizations, if any other organization, knew that. And I say that because actually we we reviewed our polling, the data, the metrics, the results that we got with quite a few other organizations working in the same vein, so fighting the same fight. And it was surprising to all of us. But what was great when we saw that um, was we got, great, this is who we're talking to. Like, this is wonderful. This will now define 
our creative. It will define our media. It will define where we produce a campaign and how. We know that we have to talk to children. We can't just develop a campaign for millennials because, in fact, we're speaking to millennial mothers. So truly, we're talking to their kids. Um, we know that we want to embrace a handful of influencers that have you know, a similar background, sim- of a similar elk, right? It gave us a very narrow, very specific framework in terms of who we're talking to to work within. And that then became a really fruitful platform for us to be creative on. Like that then gave us space to play. Um, We cast a handful of celebrities in our PSA um, that are young millennial mothers. We produced an experiential activation um, that is a museum focused on single-use plastic, the necessity um, in in reducing it, but is the museum that's open from 10 a.m. until 7 p.m. It is kid-friendly. It is extremely engaging. It Mm. is safe. It is a space for mothers to come with their kids. We've engaged NGOs that are not only in the ocean health sector, but also work with women, primarily with women. We almost immediately translated our PSA into Spanish, Um, and distributed that across various media platforms. And we're not done yet. I mean, this campaign has quite a ways to go. I'll also acknowledge that the world is moving without us. I mean, you know, there have been commitments made from corporations um, that are just wonderful and amazing. There are other organizations working um, on really fantastic campaigns. Um, But I guess, you know, the tactics that we chose to execute on were really specific and they were really specific to who we were talking to. And that was specific to the why. And the why is because we want to change behavior within a group of people that we can monitor and that we can then report back on. And once we report back on that win, it will spark a second wave. Mm. Um, So just a quick note, when we won Seattle, right, when that policy was announced, we had a second wave of comms. I mean, that was a, that was a comms tentpole for us. So it was, you know, a real peak and that was purposeful. It was a spike. We announced this effort we were producing in Seattle. We released our PSA. We then did the work in Seattle and then we peaked, spiked again and it then generated national attention. And we then successfully came in and supported some national cities, announced that peak win And that then expanded internationally along with the release of our PSA, which Emmy Kane, our digital strategist, had translated into the various UN sanctioned languages to take it international. So So Hydrate Like is now in an international campaign? So Stralis was, it still is. Hydrate is heading in that direction. And the translation of the PSA almost immediately into Spanish by a partner organization of ours was the first step. How do you guys measure impact on these kinds of campaigns? Yeah. Um, So, I mean, KPIs are developed very specific to the strategies that we employ to reach the goals that we're reaching. What does KPI stand for? A key performance indicator. So the metrics that we have to, that we hope to hit, um, let's just say with the distribution of our PSA, we track and we report back on. And then we sort of sit back and go, okay, great. Well, we fulfilled that strategy. How did that fulfillment uh, set ourselves up to reach our kind of final goal? 
it, there were, we hold ourselves to a really high standard, um, and we'll continue to, um, and that's to the tune of at launch, we were hoping to hit $2 million worth of media attention to our hydrate campaign, um, without buying ad space. And we did, we hit that number, but we hit it because we opened an experiential museum in New York city. So again, we had a brick and mortar for media to come to, for us to then control the narrative, to then have effective articles written that uh, went far and wide reaching that number. So there's a work back for everything, a work back schedule from that KPI that we need to hit within that strategy that sets ourselves up to reach our final goal. I'm curious, I know that you guys use a lot of behavior science research in, in the process. And you mentioned one example about you really need to corner people to get them to change. Um, I'm wondering if you have any other tips, just things that people who are working on campaigns should consider um, based on your knowledge of behavioral marketing sciences. <laughs> I sound like a crazy person when I when you say that back to me. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that on a podcast. You have to corner people to force them to change. <laughs> no, but it's it's uh, it's a real valid point in a lot of ways that you know we live in such an information glut culture that if we want people to pay attention to social causes, we have to be as loud as the uh, traditional marketing causes are trying to get people's attention, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, and I just, I always go back to Nike. It's like, you know, they have placed their product on the smartest people. Um, Their digital advertising campaigns, their content is just genius. And there is a new Nike store or a pop-up in a new city, a new day. Like they really blanket it. And I mean, they're an, an ages old company and, and they've been known for Wyden and Kennedy, their advertising agency, or they do such good work, but there's a, there's a reason why they're everywhere. They really have planned to be, they don't just drop a hashtag on their social channels and expect it to catch fire mm. and expect it to generate sales. It's through and through. Um, advice. You know, it's funny going back to what you just said about sort of grassroots activism and getting in the community and really talking to the community, understanding the concerns of the community and the hopes and the wishes. It's the same. You know, I just really, I think researching your audience and who you need to talk to is just so important. And I'm so lucky that, you know, our executive director, Dune Ives, has held that at the core of the work that we do through and through for every effort that we we have produced. I'd also say that people are aspirational, most people. And, you know, you're constantly working to like take that vacation or like buy that home or, or get rid of all of your stuff, whatever it is. The definition of aspirational is like unique to the individual, but, but in general, most individuals are. And I think you have to speak to that. I think you have to empower the individual in a way um, in which you've defined an aspiration for them that is enlightening, but that enlightenment is something that they can pass on, right? And so you're, you're sort of going, well, here's like a new aspiration for you, but take it, have it, let it be your own. We're not going to totally restrict you in the way that we're asking you to 
sort of own this aspiration. We're going to kind of give you a, a few different options. You know, for example, if we're talking about reusables, here are a few different brands, here are a few different price points. Um, you can find them in a few different places, but just, you know, use a reusable. Mm-hmm. And that's a good, right. And that's not an aspiration. It's, you know what? Yeah, I can, I can totally own that. I made it really easy and I can talk about it. I can talk about it at a dinner party. I can talk about it at my children's school. I can um, talk about it when I take them to little league. There's a, there's a, and I've, I've felt this because I'm not a scientist. I'm not a marine biologist. I don't have my PhD. The ocean health environmental landscape is extremely intimidating it's extremely intimidating for individuals who are not of that elk. And it's extremely invi- intimidating, excuse me, for the average consumer, for the average individual. So again, making that aspiration simple, really clean and easy um, and inclusive is, I think, important, I'd say, for campaign development. The campaigns that we run, um, they can be applied to any individual or any company. And that has been very effective in getting them to go far and wide. Yeah. Well, before we close, um, tell us a little bit more about Hydrate Like. And speaking of getting involved in simple aspirational asks, um, yeah. what, what are the different ways that people can participate and support this campaign? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking. So Hydrate Like is a campaign focused on the reduction of single-use plastic water bottles in our communities. You can check out hydratelike.org for various different toolkits to download, tips to sort of take on in your day-to-day, alternatives to engage with. You can also check out there um, uh, our PSA, some of the content uh, that we've put out. And if you'd like to download it and distribute it as your own, as your own PSA, as your organization's own cause, please do. Again, the campaigns that we produce are um, sort of Uh, we develop them so they can be open sourced. Um, So schools and individuals and other organizations can use them as though they're their own. We opened a very successful museum of plastic in New York City, um, riffing off of your typical uh, experiential activation tactic that spoke to, you know, the importance of reducing single-use plastic water bottle usage. And we'll open it again this fall. So I'd say, like, keep your, you know, eyes peeled as to where it's going, where it's heading. Um, and we hope to take it on a global tour next year. You have toolkits too, right? The we have hy- toolkits, yep. Hydrate yeah. like a mother or a boss or an activist. Yeah, yeah, fun. yeah, exactly, exactly. So part of the open source um, is applying that creative to exactly who you are. So if you are a mom, just try and hydrate like one, hydrate like a mother. If you're a celebrity, hydrate like a celebrity. If you're an entrepreneur, hydrate like an entrepreneur. What does that mean? Download our toolkits and we'll give you some options as to how to to participate in the cause and to really live that lifestyle on a daily basis and then promote it. We'd love to see you post about it on social and we'll put it on our channels if you put it on yours. So um, hydratelike.org is our website and Lonely Whale is our social channels across Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. Well, Emma, thank you so much. And it's been such a powerful contribution to have this kind of advertising skill and thinking being brought to the plastic movement. And as part of the larger ecosystem of how we're working on this issue, I think you guys are really helping us target 
uh, market that might not otherwise get as effectively targeted. So we so appreciate your work and thank you for sharing your perspective and wisdom with us. I think it's great food for thought for those in the movement or people like my sister who are in marketing and love to listen to this. She'll probably enjoy this episode especially. So uh, yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, Brooking. It was great to chat with you. It was really, it was really nice to spend some time with you today. So thanks. And that's our show. If you like what you're hearing, help spread the word. Subscribe to the Indisposable Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Add a review, talk us up, try our five friend challenge. Share some highlights from today's show with a handful of people in your life who could use an uplift. Nobody spreads a message like you. The Indisposable Podcast is brought to you by Upstream sparking innovative solutions to plastic pollution, envisioning a world without it, and empowering businesses, communities, and individuals to imagine and co-create this future with us. You can find resources mentioned on today's episode, as well as learn more about Upstream's work at www.upstreamsolutions.org. Follow us on social, support us on Patreon, and join the movement. There's a better way than throwaway.